before our time in the Word. <clears throat> so much God Holy Spirit we thank you for your conviction we thank you that you are for us and not against us thank you Father your great love and love forever Father God that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus we thank you that your mercy is new every morning we thank you Father that we can come boldly to the boldly to the throne of grace Father God that we can come and pray and worship you and honor you in spirit and truth Father God we thank you Father Again, as far as the east is from the west, you forgive us, Father. You don't remember our sin no more, Father God. So this morning we come together, Father, to worship you, to honor you, Father God. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you will speak to us individually and corporately, Father God. But as you speak, Father God, I pray with all my heart, God, that we will be obedient, that we will be doers, God, of, the, of what you call us to be, Father, and to do, Father. So we thank you, Father. We give this time to you, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Give us, convict us, God, if, if it's needed. Father, I pray, God, that you will have your way this morning, Father, God. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Strengthen your servant, I pray, God. Heal him completely from the top of his head to the sole of his feet, Father. And strengthen him this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
chat with Mark. Mm -hmm. And then I saw Timothy. us through anything he doesn't walk around the bend with us through ultimately everything that happens to us is filtered through the hands of a loving God and he promises my grace is sufficient for you and my strength is perfect in weakness when
thank you, Lord Jesus, yet for another day. Another morning, Lord, where your mercies are new. Father, we ask, O oh God, as we open your word this morning, Father, that we would be attentive to the leading of your Holy Spirit. Father, we know your word declares that it's truth that sets us free. Father, I pray that we truly would walk in freedom this morning and the days to come. As we fix our gaze upon you, Lord Jesus, where we recognize the hour, we recognize the urgency of the hour. And Father, I pray that we would not be caught slumbering or sleeping, but God, that we would be awakened to the urgency. Father, to press in to Christ. Father, to seek you with our whole heart, knowing that as we seek you, we will find you, Father. Father, I thank you, God, that there is still time, Father. God, that nighttime hasn't come yet. That it is still daylight, Lord. And Father, there is work to be done. So equip thy servants, Lord, I pray. Father, quicken us, Lord. God, that we would put our hands to the plow and not look back. That we would be fit for your kingdom. All for all because of Christ. So Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus. Yet again, the opportunity that we have to come and to sit at your feet. And to hear from you this day. Encourage us, I pray, Father. And for those who may be joining us this morning, God, who are not Christians. Father, I pray today, Holy Spirit, that you would quicken them, Lord. Father, you would be pleased to reveal yourself to them through your son, Jesus. And they would respond, Father. God, that they would come to Christ, Lord. That their eyes would be open. They would no longer be blinded by the enemy, Lord. But they would see their need for a Savior, Father. That they would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Father, that they would come to have a a strong belief and a bold confession, Lord God, that you are the Son of God and that you rose from the dead. Father, they would be born again of a new nature, God. Father, I thank you that your word declares, God, that you make all things new. May they experience a transformed life this day, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be misled. Don't be misled. The justice of God will not be mocked. You will harvest what you plant. You will harvest what you plant. And each Sunday I encourage us and I ask us the same questions. Hoping, hoping that it is challenging us daily as we're living out this life what are we putting our hands to what are we sowing to because that is what we will reap that will become our harvest what we're planting we will harvest we're either planting seeds within the flesh or we're planting seeds within righteousness We're either reaping back a life filled with the flesh or we're reaping back life filled with the Holy Spirit's presence and leading and guidance. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Christ or self. This is set before us each day, the Bible says, life or death. What are we choosing? How are we choosing to live? What are your thoughts set on? What are your eyes gazing on? 
What are your ears listening to? What's coming from your mouth? Where is your feet leading you? These are questions that we have to really look at because the justice of God will not be mocked. No matter how man wants to water it down, no matter how aggressive the enemy is prowling around, the justice of God will not be mocked. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's the King of kings and He's the Lord of lords and He has been raised from the dead. And He's now seated at the right hand of the throne of God and the place of authority. Are we believing in Christ this day and every day? Are we clinging to Christ this day and every day? Do we truly see Him for who He is? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Do we really see Him for who He is as we're allowing thoughts just to run through our mind? As we're setting our eyes on things we should not be setting them upon? As we're taking in gossip and slander and backbinding and complaining and murmuring and fault-finding? As we're putting our hands towards things, as we're allowing our feet to lead us Are we thinking upon Him? He just can't be on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night or Friday night or maybe when you get together with believers, you put on your hat, your believer hat, and then you take it off when you go out and do whatever you you want. No, we have to be engrafted. The Bible says we are engrafted into His kingdom. That our new identity is in Christ. And that, that, within that understanding, that makes us a free people. Not to go live however we want to live, but free not to get entangled with the sin that so easily tries to trip us up. But that we can cling to Christ and know that He is who He says He is and we are believing that with every ounce of belief within us. That no matter what trial, what circumstance, no matter what's coming against us, we know that the gates of hell cannot prevail. That we already are in a place of victory. We're not defeated. We're the head and not the tail. We're above and not beneath. His promises are yes and amen. I don't know about you, but trust me, every day that you rise up, Your flesh, the world, and the enemy will love nothing more than to remind you you're nothing. (laughs) To remind you of your past. To make you fret and be concerned and anxious about the future. (laughs) But we must remind ourselves, the world, and the enemy who our God is. Every day, throughout the day. It's not just a one-time prayer that you pray. It's a lifestyle. It is who you start becoming. The old man, the old woman is dead. Behold, a new life comes forth. A transformed life. A maturing life. We're not perfected until we are with Him. 
and I can say that till I'm blue in my face, but do we truly understand it? We're not perfected until we're with Him, but that does not give us the right to keep sinning. Living however we want, doing whatever we want, <laughs> running amok and running wild. No, no, no. We are to be marked as those who belong to Him. Be holy as He is holy. And yet though, our goal is not perfection. I keep reminding us, our goal though is maturing. There should be fruit coming from our lives of a life that has been transformed by the resurrected Christ. The resurrected Christ. And as I keep saying, it's sad that a lot of people still have Him nailed to the cross. A lot of people still have Him tucked away in the tomb. But that's not where our Christ is. <laughs> he is risen. And because of this fact, then we understand that sin and death are defeated. And that should erupt with praise to our God. That He who the Son has set free is free indeed. And we better really get grounded in the Word of God. I have been saying it, but I have not, not the only one that's been saying it. There's multitude of people throughout the earth that has been saying it for years now. <laughs> it's all coming together. Wake up! Wake up! The King is coming! We don't know the day or the hour, but things are lining up for His return. I mean, for goodness sakes, Christianity is not the most popular belief on the earth. And it's not going to be. It never will be. But we see it closing more and more as each day is, is fast approaching. The persecution rising up against the church. The attacks are only going to get greater. They're not going to subside. I mean, for goodness sakes, when you have the President of the United States address the nation yesterday, and he was questioned about why he would mention the mosque as Ramadan approaches for the Muslim faith. He retweeted a tweet where the man, another man said, are they going to treat the Muslims like they treat the Christians? And from our president's mouth, he says, the Christian faith is under attack in this nation. What has happened to this nation? Everyone recognizes it. Everyone sees it. The church in America, as it is throughout the earth, is looked down upon. When we have radical groups blaming the spread of the virus on Christians. When you hear the most craziest things said about Christians. When a Christian cannot even own a business without being attacked 
when the truth of God's word is being stripped from the pulpits because the people sitting in the pews or in the chairs or wherever they are want the preacher to preach a certain way. And the Bible tells us in the last days people are only going to want to hear from those who tickle their ears. Make it about us. Make us feel better. But listen, church. We've got to wake up. We've got to wake up. We've got to wake up. We've got to seek Him while He may still be found. We've got to live a life that is honoring Him. You are not going to be liked. You are going to be hated. You're going to be despised. People are going to turn on you. People who you think are close to you will be the ones that are going to turn you over. We are warned. We just can't pick and choose the scriptures we like. Do you understand? Are you reading the Bible? Do you understand the days that are approaching? And I've been saying it for years. I don't think the church is ready. I don't think we're ready for what's coming. And I've said this even before the plague hit the earth. And I wish I could get up and just do a a, a, a performance for you all and make you feel good. But people are dying and going to hell. For eternity. And what's the church doing? She's lost because she can't go into her buildings. What kind of craziness is this? The murmuring and the plain complaining and the fault finding and this and that. And everyone has an opinion. But why isn't everyone just seeking God? All of a sudden we don't know who we are because we can't go into our buildings. All of a sudden, we don't know who we are because we have to watch it through a platform of social media. All of a sudden, we don't know who we are. But oh, it's time the church to awaken. It's time that we wake up. Christ is returning. Christ is returning. And it's only going to get worse in this world. So if you're hoping that things are going to get better, okay, great, the plague will be lifted up all for us. But there's something else coming. And there's something that's going to come after that. And there's something that's going to come after that. And it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get darker. The level of perversion, the level of strife and murder and envy is only going to increase The level of the demonic is only going to increase. The level of sickness and disease is only going to increase. And you say, but what is the good news? Jesus is risen. (laughs) Jesus is risen. And because that is our hope, because that is our belief and our faith, we don't cling to this world. We recognize what the Word of God says. And how sad it is that a lot of people are sitting in churches and they don't understand this truth. 
They just want their best life now. They just want everything to be okay now. Don't tell me what I can't do and can't say. Just tell me what I can enjoy and have now. But that's not the gospel. That's not the truth. The call of a disciple is to deny yourself, to pick up your cross and to follow Him. It's going to cost you everything. Jesus didn't mince words. It's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you your own life. It's going to cost you friends and family. It's going to cost you everything. And if your Christian life isn't costing you something, then I would be bold enough to say, something is wrong. (laughs) Something is wrong. If your Christian life is just this weird, content life, saturated by the things of this world, something's wrong. Because your satisfaction and your peace and your hope is not to be found in this world. It is only in Christ and through Christ that we are whole, that we are complete, that Christ is enough. Christ is enough. And so the justice of God will not be mocked. Don't be misled. Don't let anyone mislead you. You're going to harvest what you plant. And before we go into our verses of walking through the Bible today, we have to go to Ephesians chapter 1. I'd like to encourage us in our Christian walk. Whenever we read our scripture and from Galatians, we need to tie other scriptures to it so we can see how to put it on and live it out as the Holy Spirit gives us inspiration and understanding and wisdom. But Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 23. This is Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And he prays in this portion of Scripture for spiritual wisdom. Listen to what he writes here. Even ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope He has given to those He called. His holy people who are His rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe Him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the heavenly realms. Let me back up. 
that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, but also the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. And the church should say amen. Listen to how Paul is praying for the church. Are you praying for the church? Are you praying only for yourself as well? For spiritual wisdom and insight and understanding. How great is our God? I've always said, as I say to myself, I say to all, as you see Him, so you will live. If He's not a great God, you're going to keep doing what you want to do. Saying what you want to say. Going where you want to go. Laughing and carrying on. But when you recognize Him as a great God, as a holy God, as a God who has poured Himself out in order to reconcile you back to Him, when you truly see Him for who He is, you will truly live for Him. Nothing else is going to satisfy you. If you try to go your way, the Holy Spirit is going to be quick to remind you of the outcome of that way. There's a new way to live. We've got to know Him, you all. We've got to grow into Him. We've got to allow our roots to grow down deep. We've got to draw up the nutrients of the newness of life from our source of life. Our creator, our God. We're not to be satisfied with the created any longer. We're not to continue to seek the created any longer. No, we're to withdraw from it. You say, well, I won't know how to live. You will when you seek him. You when you find him. When you apply truth, remember, the Bible says we're not just to be hearers of the word. We're to be doers, living it out day in and day out. Go to Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Made alive with Christ. Listen to this. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins... You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclination of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Apart from Christ, we're a mess. We're just rebellious, sinful people. 
enslaved to sin, mastered by Satan, bound to the things of this world, and we deserve God's wrath. But oh, praise God for verse 4. But God is so rich in mercy and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness towards us as shown in all He has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. But God, because of His great love for us, gave us His Son that we no longer have to endure His wrath. He has saved us from Himself. Through Himself. Christ. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Life, you all. Are you living today? Do you have the fullness of hope in this life? But you don't know when your last breath is going to be. But are you content and satisfied in Christ? And in Christ alone? This is not the hour to be sleeping. This is not the hour to be caught up in everything else. And just as the Lord has been saying to me, and I've been sharing it with you all and with others, I'm hearing others say it throughout the earth. God has given us this season. What have we done with it as the church? How are you spending your time? Are you fasting? Are you praying? Are you finding yourself even falling in more deeper in love with Christ and His Word? How is your devotional time? being inspired how are you fanning the flame and if you're not something is wrong something is wrong wake up wake up and there's an urgency in the hour do not let Satan lull you to sleep do not let him pull you in To be enslaved to the created. This is not the hour. 
to play church. I know a little bit of Scripture. I know a little bit of this. I'll throw up a prayer here when I have time. That's a religion. Are you in relationship? Are you in fellowship? Are you in step with the Holy Spirit? The Bible says that we are to walk habitually in the Spirit, not to gratify the desires of the flesh. To walk habitually in the Spirit so that you can easily throw off the sin that so comes to entangle you. So that you are ready to announce freedom to the captives. That you're ready to serve And even so ready to die for your faith. God, we have to wake up. This isn't a a, a game anymore. This isn't just, oh, come come Sunday, come whenever. Look, I showed up for church. No. You got to wake up. Gotta wake up. Are you seeking him? Are you desiring to grow and to mature? Are you dressing for battle every day and throughout the day? Don't think, and like we've said before, don't think the enemy is given up. Oh, he is defeated, but he hasn't given up. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We have all authority in Christ. And you better hope to God you're standing in it every day. Because the enemy's coming. The world is not backing down. The enticements of it are even growing stronger. But we must remember Scripture. That the world's interest is no longer within us. The flesh, it's craving everything it desires. And we must remind ourselves, you're dead. You've been nailed to his cross. Like, I don't know about you, but warfare is ramping up. In the spiritual realm. Have you not noticed? Over the past month? Has your mind not been bombarded? Left and right, left and right, left and right? Has your heart not been racing? Like we have got to understand. What is going on? It's not time for the church to back down. It's time for the church to know her identity. It's time for the church to declare the goodness of her God. To walk with Him. To talk with Him. To live for Him and Him alone. We, listen to what Scripture just says, we are His masterpiece. Think of that. Think upon that. And stop believing the lies you tell yourself. Stop clinging to the past. 
Let your mind be renewed. Oh, church, come on. Let's go to Ephesians 3, verse 1 through 13. God's mysterious plan has been revealed. Paul says, when I think of all of this, I, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God, gave me the special responsibility of extending His grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God Himself revealed His mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, not now, I'm sorry, but now by His Spirit, He has revealed it to His holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jew who believe the good news shall equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving Him by spreading the good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about, in, about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the Creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display His wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was His eternal plan, which He carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in Him, we can now come boldly and confidently in God, into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. He's in prison. Paul has gone through. And what was his charge? He was a believer in Christ. He preached the good news. He knows his purpose. He knew and he knows his God who has called him for his time, for his moment in history to tell the good news to the Gentiles. The message just wasn't for the Jews. No, it was for the Gentiles. It was for everyone. Because from the beginning till the end, God's plan, his mysterious plan is to have a people that he will call his own. And in return, they will call Him their God. The church, and look what he says here. God's purpose is all, in all of this was to use the church to display His wisdom in its rich variety to all unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And that spirit realm that you cannot see Later on in Ephesians, when he writes to the church, he tells us that our battle is not with flesh and blood, but it's with rulers and principalities, but in the air and in the darkness, this realm that you cannot see, but yet though we are lured to, 
We embrace it through what we watch and what we listen to. We are captivated as it draws us in. But we as the church, we recognize it. We see it for what it is and we say, no, you cannot cross this line. There's nothing that you can reveal to me that is pleasurable than what God has given me. Look, we must stand up against it. We must fight. We must push back by His authority and His power. We must know our identity. Paul says, don't lose heart because of my trials here. Don't lose heart. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. I'm going through what I have to go through. And Paul's content. Paul is content. Whether he's rich or poor, slave or freed, he's content. He knows his God. Are you content with God? Do you know your God? Are you you standing in the assurance of who he is? Listen, it's easy to want to give up. It's easy to want to backtrack. It's easy just to cover your head. It's easy just to stay down and not get up. But oh, church, we've got to realize who we are if we're truly believers. If we're truly believers, we got to realize who we are in Christ. And the only way we will understand our identity is if we truly know Him for who He is. He's God. And His justice will not be mocked. We must understand this. We must wake up. We're going to close this portion of reading in Ephesians chapter 5. No, actually, let's go to Ephesians 3, verse 14 through 21. Yet another prayer that Paul prays for spiritual growth. When I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. I pray from that His glorious unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength through the Spirit. Then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all of God's people should. How wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Spiritual growth. Now let's go to Ephesians 5 verse 1 through 20. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, 
because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of God. I'm sorry, the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Let us not be fooled into thinking we can live however we want to live and slap Jesus on our forehead. That's not how it works. And you see this craziness. And I was no different before I came to Christ. But you see this craziness of people who are calling themselves Christians. People who may have been in the church for quite some time. Saying the most ungodliest things about Christ. Saying that however they want to live is right. Allowing sin to still master them as if Christ is still left in the tomb and making excuses and then pointing their crooked fingers at Christians who call for holiness. It is ridiculous what we're seeing. And somehow we just coddle them. Oh, it's not time to coddle anymore. It's time to stand up and say, no, that is not Christ-like. The Bible is very clear. I know it makes us feel better if we just water it down and make it easy for everyone to get in. Swing wide the gates and let everyone in. It's easy. But that's not God's plan. Can we just sit there for a second? Not every family member is in heaven. Stop playing around. And not every family member is going to heaven. Not every co-worker, not everyone that you pass on the streets. What have we done with the gospel? What have we done with Jesus? That the standard is so low. And yet people are dying with Jesus on their lips. And going straight to hell because he's not in their hearts. He's not their Savior. He's not their Lord. They aren't in a relationship with Him. And yet we peddle out this false hope, this false gospel. And we just sit back because we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to offend our family members. For goodness sakes, they go to church. They're okay, aren't they? We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to say anything. We don't want to raise a standard in our own home. 
And like I've always said, that they were going to be weeping over their dead bodies. And somehow conjure up within us, oh, I'll see you again. Where? Where? Oh, you say, well, this isn't a good message. This doesn't make me feel good. What do you mean? Listen, it's reality. It's reality. Do you understand what we're up against every single day? Do you understand this is a battle? Do you understand the cost, first and foremost, for your own life? Do you understand the call of a disciple for your own life first? Before you start dealing with someone else's splinter in their eye, remove the plank from yours and then go to them. Oh, but don't you know how they pray? They pray so eloquent. Who cares if there's no fruit coming from their life? They're bound in adultery. They're bound in sin. They're bound in this. They're bound in that. And we're congratulating them because they can pray eloquently. Well, they go to church. They said a little prayer. But come on. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. You can be sure. You can be sure. And listen to what he goes on and says here. Don't be fooled in verse 6 by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey Him. Don't be fooled. Because you got pastors standing in a pulpit telling you it's all okay. Don't be fooled by people who are just excusing it. No, there's no excuse. And you say, but, but I'm just a sinner. No, you were just a sinner. If you're in Christ, you have been redeemed. Well, what do you say? I'm not going to sin. No, you will sin. But the difference is, sin won't master you. Because as soon as you sin, you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You grieve. Oh, God. You seek forgiveness and then you get up and then you move on. Can we just get that? If you don't feel the conviction, if you're not grieving over when you are sinning and you're sitting in church, something is wrong. Something is wrong that you think that you would stand up and pray so eloquently and not have the fear of the one in whom you're praying to. Ah, we got to wake up. We got to wake up. The time is short. The time is short. The, The road is narrow. 
The road is narrow. Come on. Don't participate in verse 7. And these things these people do. For once you were full of darkness. Listen to this. But now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good, right, and true. That is what should be coming from you. That which is good, right, and true. That is which, which is good, right, and true. This is what should be coming forth from your life. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. That is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts, and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be misled. The justice of God will not be mocked. You will harvest what you plant. Oh, you better know truth. Oh, you better live it out. Don't live thoughtlessly. Give thought to life. To your identity in Christ. It's not a joke. It's not something you put on, you take off. You put on, you take off. No, it's who you are. It's who you're becoming. More and more and more and more like Him. Again, we're perfected when we're with Him. But until then, we are to be growing. We are to recognize the world in which we live in is evil. It is in rebellion towards our God. And so I would challenge us all, myself included, to make sure we're not clinging to anything that's created. Rather it be a person or anything else. You've got to get rid of your excuses and the sin that is holding you back from the fullness of who God is and what He's calling you to. We are to be His people We are His people. If we are in Christ, if we believe, then get up and live it. I don't have time. We don't have time to be lulled asleep. Just give me a come good, feel good message. No. Like something is seriously going on. And we've got to wake up. To the urgency of the hour. To the urgency of the day. Because what is behind this 
is far worse than what this plague is doing. And what is behind that is far worse. And it's going to continue. It's wave after wave after wave after wave until the earth is no more. Because Christ is coming. And that's how we ought to be living. And some will say, well, that's crazy talk. It's crazy to them. But it's the right talk for the church to be reminded that our Lord is coming. And He's coming back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Those who oppose Him, these rulers, these authorities, and this spiritual realm, and then those created beings on this earth who continue to raise up their fists towards Him, will be swallowed up in His wrath. And the church says, Amen. This is what's coming. This is where you have to get up and start living out your faith. The kumbaya days have been over and they've been over for years. Everything is being shaken But we in the church know that we've already been engrafted into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So let the earth shake as it wants. That's just a reminder to me that creation is crying out for the Lord's return. (laughs) Are you ready, you all? Are you ready? Numbers chapter 30. Oh, I pray that you're encouraged this morning. I pray that you would... That you do feel the sting. And I feel the sting. This message is just not for you. It's for me. It's for all of us. We have loved ones who need us to live out our lives in Christ before them. To stop coddling them, stop walking and just playing games. Ha ha ha. No, it's not funny anymore. It's not funny anymore. They're dying. They're dying. It's not funny anymore. And no longer are we, are we content. We should not be content just to sit back. Oh, I'm praying. I'm praying for them. Yeah, your prayers are good, but live it out before them. Open up your mouth. Speak truth to them. Encourage them. Love on them. And loving on them is not withdrawing from them. Loving on them is not being silent. Well, sometimes you got to speak in love. Sometimes it takes a little one-two. Huh. Don't settle any longer, you all. As soon as the church or an individual Christian settles, you're going to get swallowed up by the craziness of this world. Don't settle. Don't settle. Persevere. 
Press on. Well, it seems like I'm the only one. Then keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Because ultimately in the end, you're here well done. Keep going. Numbers chapter 30 and 31 is where we're heading today. God's people. He's getting them ready to enter into the promised land. Then Moses summoned the leaders of the tribes of Israel and told them, This is what the Lord has commanded. A man who makes a vow to the Lord or makes a pledge under oath must never break it. He must do exactly what he said he would do. Now, their, their pledge and their oath are quite different than ours today. They were really like hardened back in those days. You made a pledge or you made an oath. It was more during the times of offering a sacrifice. But that doesn't do away with what the word encourages us. That your yes be your yes, your no be your no. Don't want to live a wishy-washy life. But back here, their pledges and their oath, they were to be kept. As it should be with us. That's why we should be very careful of what we're agreeing to. But if a young woman makes a vow to the Lord or a pledge under oath while she is still living at her father's home, and her father hears of the vow or pledge and does not object to it, then all her vows and pledges will stand. But if her father refuses to let her fulfill the vow or pledge on the day he hears of it, then all her vows and pledges will be invalid. The Lord will forgive her because her father would not let her fulfill them. And I want you to understand this. As I was studying this and as I was praying through this, to me, I kept getting this beautiful picture of how God has laid out authority. And I know people have twisted what God has purposed to fulfill their need to control. And I understand that, that there's been abuse in the church, there's been abuse in Christian homes, there's been abuse running amok. It's because man has gotten a hold of what God designed. Remember, everything God designed is good. Everything that God has designed is good. Remember, there is no error found in God. Error is found in men and the created being. God gave the Father to oversee the home. And it's such a beautiful picture. It had me on my knees this week crying out for families. And what the enemy has done and what men have done to families. What creation, what the created beings have done. We've easily given up what God has designed. 
So again, I'm not talking about abusers. I'm not talking about people who need to be in control. I'm talking about how God designed families and authority and structure. It's for our good. But don't you see the rebellion towards it? Throughout the generations, the rebellion towards what God has designed Now women are looked down upon if they dare submit to a man's authority. Now all of a sudden, you can have society without men. And you got everyone rising up. And I say, God have mercy. You've got young girls who don't even have fathers. You've got young boys who don't even have fathers. You've got the family unit destroyed. And then you also have family units that have an abusive man in control. And it's destroying. And if it's not an abusive man, it's an abusive woman. And yet we hold our fist up towards God as if He's the problem. No, 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 no. You're the problem. We're the problem. We've made a mockery of marriage. We've made a mockery of marriage. And I'm talking about the church. Ah, the world's going to do whatever the world wants to do. But the church... We don't value marriage like we should. We don't value authority like we should. I said, God, help us. I did. I fell fell in love with these scriptures. If a young girl, a young woman makes a vow and her father catches ear to it, And if he accepts the terms, then so be it. You will fulfill it. But if in his wisdom and in his understanding, he goes, no, wait a minute. No. Sweetheart, no. You take a step back. You're not going to fulfill that. It's not good for you. It's not the right thing to do. She won't be held to it. Her father has looked out for her. Now suppose a young woman, verse 6, makes a vow or binds herself with an impulsive pledge and and, and later marries. If her husband learns of her vow or pledge and does not object on the day he hears of it, her vows and pledges will stand. But if her husband refuses to accept her vow or impulsive pledge on the day he hears of it, he nullifies her commitments and the Lord will forgive her. If, however, a woman is a widow or is divorced, she must fulfill all her vows and pledges. 
But suppose a woman is married and living in her husband's home when she makes a vow, binds herself with a pledge. If her husband hears of it and does not object to it, her vow or pledge will stand. But if her husband refuses to accept it on the day he hears of it, her vow or pledge will be nullified and the Lord will forgive her. So her husband may either confirm or nullify any vows or pledges she makes to deny herself. But if he does not object on the day he hears of it, then he is agreeing to all of her vows and pledges. If he waits more than a day and then tries to nullify a vow or a pledge, he will be punished for her guilt. These are the regulations the Lord gave Moses concerning relationships between men, between, I'm sorry, between a man and his wife, and between a father and a young daughter who still lives at home. Then the Lord, chapter 31, said to Moses, On behalf of the people of Israel, take revenge on the Midianites for leading them into idolatry. After that, you will die and join your ancestors. Yet again, Moses is being reminded, Moses, your days are numbered. Remember we read scripture a couple weeks ago. The Lord reminded Moses, you're not entering in to the promised land. Your days are coming. Your days are numbered. And again, Moses doesn't grieve. He doesn't overreact. Oh God, he's not trying to twist God's arm. He recognizes it. And he still delivers what the Lord has commanded him to do. He still obeys. He still trusts in his God. So Moses said to the people, Choose some men and arm them to fight the Lord's war of revenge against Midian. For each tribe of Israel sent 1,000 men into battle. So they chose 1,000 men from each tribe of Israel, a total of 12,000 men armed for battle. Then Moses sent them out, a thousand men from each tribe, and Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the priest, led them into battle. They carried along the holy objects of the sanctuary and the trumpets for sounding the charge. They attacked Midian as the Lord had commanded Moses, and they killed all the men, all five of the Midianite kings, Evi, Reckon, Jur, Hur, and Reba died in the battle. They also killed Balaam, son of Beor, with the sword. Then the Israelite army captured the Midianite women and children and seized their cattle and flocks and all the wealth as plunder. They burned all the towns and villages where the Midianites had lived. After they had gathered the plunder and captives, both people and animals, they brought them all to Moses and Eleazar the priests and to the whole community of Israel, which was camped on the plains of Moab besides the Jordan River, across from Jericho. Moses and Eleazar the priests and all the leaders of the community went to meet them outside the camp. But Moses was furious with all the generals and captains who had returned to, from the battle. Why have you let all the women live, he demanded. These are the very ones who followed Balaam's advice and caused the people of Israel to rebel against the Lord at Mount Beor. They are the ones who caused the plague to strike the Lord's people. So kill all the boys and all the women who have had intercourse with man. 
Only the young girls who are virgins may live. You may keep them for yourselves. And all of you who have killed anyone or touched a dead body must stay outside the camp for seven days. You must purify yourself and your captives on the third and seventh days. Purify all your clothing too and everything made of leather, goat hair, goat hair, or wood. And people will say, how can you serve a God like that? How can a God of love be just in the killing of these women and these boys? And I've always told you my response to people who say that, how can I not? He's a just God. What error is found in God and what He has said to be done to these people? Again, the problem isn't God. There is no error in God. He is just. He is right in His judgments. These people were wicked. They were evil. And God did avenge what they did to His people back here. And now... They're going to pay for it. God is just. He is right. He is holy. You both, Moses looked and said, You brought these women here? They're the ones. They're the ones that perverted our people. You let them live? Strike them all down. Strike the young boys down. They cannot enter in. God is just. God is right. There is no fault to be found in God. They were wicked. And they perverted God's people. They followed the advice of Balaam. To go in and seduce the men of Israel. And the men of Israel, let us not forget what happened. Thousands of them died. And we want to play with sin today. We want to play with sin today. I said a couple weeks ago, we, we can't treat sin lightly. No, we've got to stand our ground. Because of Christ, there is freedom. Died to the old self. Drag that old self to the cross (laughs) and slay it there. Luck, you know, praise God, we're not out slaying people. Because Christ has already taken the punishment. He's already taken the punishment. And it's only through Christ that one can find life. And it's a gruesome death to die to self. It's gruesome to nail yourself to the cross of Christ. 
when all those passions and desires want to live. That's why we don't take it lightly. We're not peddling out the Word of God as if it's nothing. Just as graphic as it is here, so it was graphic on the cross, and so it's graphic in our lives. Death is never easy. But as believers, we understand that it's through death we truly live. That we die to ourselves, and now we are alive in Christ. So don't get tripped up when people come after you because of God. As I said a couple weeks ago, or whenever I said it, this weird religion, this false reality that somehow Jesus came to do away with the God of the Old Testament, He didn't come to do away with Himself. He's still God. All of a sudden, God is not a pansy. All of a sudden, He's not this limp-wristed, weakened man. who's just parading around, passing out hugs and muffins. He's not this weird hippie. He's God. He's God. He's the same God then, as He is now, and as He will be to come. So I don't know why we try to to do away with the God of the Old Testament. Poof, He's gone. Now, yes, we are in a new covenant through Christ. And praise be to God for that. But you better open up the New Testament and you better see what the Word of God says about the new covenant. That's a whole different lesson. So you better listen to Scripture. You better see him for truly who he is. And that's why with confidence when someone steps up and says to me, Ah, the God of the Old Testament, blah, 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 blah. How could you, blah, 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 blah. How could I not? You're finding error in God. I see no error in God. He is just. He is holy. He is right. Oh, God, strengthen us. Verse 21. Then Eleazar the priest said to to the men who were in the battle, The Lord has given Moses this legal requirement. Anything made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, tin, or lead, that is, all metals that do not burn, must be passed through the fire in order to be made ceremonially pure. These metal objects must then be further purified with the water of purification. But everything that burns must be purified by the water alone. On the seventh day, you must wash your clothes and be purified. Then you may return to camp. And the Lord said to Moses, You and Eleazar the priest and the family leader of each tribe are to make a list of all the plunder taken in battle, including the people and animals. Then divide the plunder into two parts and give half to the men who fought in the battle and half to the rest of the people. From the army's position, first give the Lord his share of the plunder, 
one of every 500 of prisoners and of the cattle, donkey, sheep, and goats, give this share of the army's half to Eleazar, the priest, as an offering to the Lord. From the half that belongs to the people of Israel, take one of every 50 of the prisoners and of the cattle, donkey, donkeys, sheep, and goats, and other animals. Give this share to the Levites who are in charge of maintaining the Lord's tabernacle. So Moses and Eleazar, the priest, did as the Lord commanded Moses. The plunder remaining from everything the fighting men had taken totaled 675,000 sheep and goats, 72,000 cattle, 61,000 donkeys, and 32,000 virgin girls. Half of the plunder was given to the fighting men and totaled 337,500 sheep and goats, and of which 675 were the Lord's share. 36,000 cattle, of which 72 were the Lord's share. 30,500 donkeys, of which 61 were the Lord's share. And 16,000 virgin girls, of whom 32 were the Lord's share. Moses gave all the Lord's share to Eleazar the priest, just as the Lord had directed him. Half of the plunder belonged to the people of Israel, and Moses separated it from the half belonging to the fighting men. It totaled 337,500 sheep and goats, 36,000 cattle, 30,500 donkeys, and 16,000 virgin girls. From the half share given to the people, Moses took one of every 50 prisoners and animals and gave them to the Levites who maintained the Lord's tabernacle. All, all this was done as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then all the generals and captains came to Moses and said, We are your servants. Have accounted for all the men who went out to battle under our command. Not one of us is missing. So we are presenting the items of gold we captured as an offering to the Lord from our share of the plunder, armbands, bracelets, rings, earrings, and necklaces. This will purify our lives before the Lord and make us right with him. So Moses and Eleazar, the priests, received the gold from all the military commanders, all kinds of jewelry and crafted objects. In all, the gold the generals and captains presented as a gift to the Lord weighed about 420 pounds. All the fighting men had taken some of the plunder for themselves. So Moses and Eleazar, the priests, accepted the gifts from the generals and captains and brought the gold to the tabernacle as a reminder to the Lord that the people of Israel belong to him. They giving up the plunder. Provision was given. But look what these generals did. They gave a little more. From the, from the depths of the heart for their zeal and the love to God. Not one man was lost. We belong to the Lord. And I love how it ended there. This served as a reminder to the Lord that the people of Israel belong to Him. God set these people apart to bring forth the Messiah, Jesus, so that all men and women of the earth could come to the saving knowledge of Christ, you all. The mysterious plan has been revealed as Paul penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as we read earlier. That all people would come to the saving knowledge Christ that the new men the new women 
This new creation would come forth as God's people. Are you marked among the people of God? Oh, how I pray that you are. Go to Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 30. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 30. The temptation of Jesus. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, Tell, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. So let's stop there for a second. Jesus was just baptized. He's filled with the Spirit. Now He's being led into the wilderness for 40 days. Israel was led into the wilderness for 40 years. <laughs> Adam and Eve lived in paradise. The enemy came and they fell for his tricks and they were thrown out into the wilderness. <laughs> a barren place. A rough place. A rough land. <laughs> Jesus, God Himself, in the wilderness, fasting. Listen to this. He became very hungry. And then the devil said, and you say, well, what's the hesitancy? What are, you, what are you trying to get to? There was a need. Jesus was hungry. Listen. The devil knows how to entice. What is your need today? You're going to need something within the next day or two. And don't think that hell itself isn't looking. And they see the need, they're going to present other avenues, other opportunities to satisfy it. But are you strong in spirit and in stature? Are you rooted down in Christ? So when the devil comes a knocking and he presents to you, how are you to respond? Oh, how I pray that we are growing 
and our faith. That we're trusting in our God. And as Jesus responds, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. He knows his purpose. He knows where he's at. (laughs) He knows what is set before him. Do you know? Are you secure in Christ that you're just not going to grab the first thing that is presented to you? Are you not going to sell your birthright just to get satisfied? Are you not going to go into that relationship when you know that person is ungodly? They don't honor God. But for whatever reason, you're drawn because somehow you feel protected. They're meeting my basic needs. But you're not honoring God. Oh, we got to wake up. We got to wake up. This portion of scripture teaches us a lot about warfare. He is our example. Listen to how he responds. If Jesus wanted bread, he could have made bread. The devil was stupid enough to think that he was going to trip Jesus up because of bread. Because of hunger. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said. Because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Again, Jesus knows his identity. He knows he's heading to the cross. And he knows the victory that comes from the cross. He knows everything is his already. And yet the enemy comes and he's presenting Now at this time, and still, the enemy has the right to the earth. But ultimately, Jesus, it all belongs to him anyways. And listen to what he says, and worship me. Ah, don't forget the enemy. He was created, a beautiful creation. To worship God. But in his heart, he said, I will ascend above the throne of God. That pride, arrogance. And he was thrown out of heaven with those angels that he deceived. And look what he's saying to Jesus. Worship me. Worship me. And Jesus replied, the scriptures say. Now notice the first temptation and now this temptation, how Jesus responds. The scriptures say. That's how you should be responding. Do you know scripture? Do you know scripture? So that when things are bombarding your mind, things are being presented to you that are contrary to the truth of God's word, you say, wait a minute. If I give in to that, then I'm giving the devil a foothold. 
And the Bible says if I give him a foothold, he's going to develop a stronghold. But praise be to God, the Word of God says that the Lord gives me the weapons of my warfare to demolish these strongholds. So I'm not going to fall prey until what is being given to me because I recognize that it's contrary to the truth of who Christ is and who I am. So I'm going to take that thought captive and now I'm going to bring it into the obedience of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Are you talking this way throughout the day? Are you living this way throughout the day? If not, then what good is your Christianity? What good is it if you're not living it? You are in a battle. You are in a battle. Do you know Scripture? Because that's all you've got. It's the living Word of God. And if God Himself uses it, don't you think you should? But be honest with yourself. Wake up. Ah, don't start all beating yourself up. I'm just a poor, bad Christian. I'm not a good... Get your eyes off of yourself. I tell you this all the time. When you see areas in your life that are not lining up with truth, don't turn it around and have a pity party. And start feeling bad for yourself. Take your eyes off of yourself and put them on Christ. Put them on Christ. As I'm mentoring this guy at work and and we're talking, we're going back and forth, I'm encouraging him. As I sat with him on Friday, I said, listen, brother, how are you doing daily? Getting a step ahead of your flesh and the enemy. How are you preparing yourself daily? I was so encouraged by what he was saying. And then I looked at him and I said, well, but what about this area? He's like, oh, you know, I'm going to get him thought to that. I said, get thought to it. And we both were just encouraged, edifying each other and building each other up. It's what we ought to be doing. Like it's every day. It's an ongoing process. And how we've created it to be a Sunday morning hour or two, and then that's it. And then we flood right back out into the world. What kind of craziness is this? I didn't lay my life down and put my all my hope and my belief in this God for Him just to be run through the muck and the mire and have His blood trampled all over as if it's so common it means nothing. Because that's not what I see in His Word. That's why... I don't see it anywhere. That's why I don't want to play church with people. That's why I've said for years, I don't care if it's just me standing here. I'll preach to myself. I don't want to have a a building where people are just coming in and just getting comfortable. And just wanting to, 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 to take and take and take and take and take and not have any truth given. There's so many other places you can go and find that. Where are the people of God that want to learn of God, that want to live, that want to link arms 
You just say, not my will, but thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I say, God, come on. I mean, look at this example that we have here. The scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the Son of God, aha, look at this now. Jump off. For the scriptures say, who's talking scripture now? The devil. The devil knows scripture. The Bible says that the demons know who Jesus is. They know scripture. And they quake, they shudder. That's why when Jesus shows up, they go, oh, is it time? Don't think the devil's not going to try to trip you up even with scripture. That's why you better have a good hold on Christ, good solid teaching so that you don't get tripped up with Scripture. He will order His angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. If you are the Son of God, jump off, for the Scriptures say, Yeah, nothing's going to harm you. He's getting right to the core and the depth of Christ and his identity. He is the Son of God. And Jesus doesn't have to prove himself to Satan. Jesus responded, The Scripture also say, You must not test the Lord your God. And praise be to God, when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Until the next opportunity came. Listen, you all. It is warfare. And we better grasp it. Because we're in the thick of it. We're in the thick of it. And it's not going to lighten up. Not until the clouds part and Christ returns. These are the days of Elijah, you all. God is on the move and doing incredible things throughout this earth. He is still God. He is on the throne. All glory and power belong to Him. And oh, I pray that we are worshiping Him. Let's move on through verse 30. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scripture. 
the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He rolled up, he unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be free, set free, and that the name of the Lord and the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this day. Very important. It's been established. What God has planned, God has fulfilled. And I love this picture too, because when young boys used to get up, and young men used to get up and read in the synagogues from the scriptures that they had, from the Old Testament, they would expound upon them. They would teach. They would give insight and revelation and understanding. So when Jesus read it and rolled it back up and sat down, that's why they all were looking. They were like, well, finish. And so I love the fact that Jesus says, the scriptures you just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by his gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said, You will undoubtedly quote me this proverb. Physician, heal yourself. Meaning, do miracles in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly, there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet, Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow in Zathrath, in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one he healed was Naaman, a Syrian. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went his own way. That's Jesus, you all. That is Jesus. Ah, look how the religious people got upset when truth was being taught. He tells them, in Israel's time, these prophets didn't go to the Israelites. They went to foreigners. And that ticked off the religious people. So much so, they dragged him out to kill him. It wasn't his time. So he passed right through them and went his own way. Not everyone is going to respond to truth. It's going to incite anger and frustration to the point that they would want to kill you as our brothers and sisters overseas are facing the persecuted church. They're just sharing the gospel. They're sharing the good news. God is love. 
God sent His Son. There is hope and salvation in Jesus. And the government says, silence them. The other faiths, silence them. For what? They're good, hardworking people. They contribute to society. They mind their own business. They honor their word. They're hard workers. They're not lazy. Hopefully that can be said about the Western church. These people are living it. And they're being slaughtered because of Christ. And they say, don't pity us. No. No. We find it joy. We find it a blessing to suffer for our Christ. And what's the Western church doing? Quaking in her boots. Oh, come on, we gotta wake up. We gotta wake up. Jesus is Lord. See him for who he is. He's all-powerful. He's mighty. He's God. The devil has no hold on him. The religious men have no hold on him. The world has no hold on him. He's God. He's victorious. He is risen indeed. And he's setting people free throughout this earth with the same zeal and passion For his will to be done. Go to Psalm 63. We're wrapping up. Psalm 63. We're back into a wilderness. (laughs) Psalm 63. David writes this psalm. As he was in the wilderness. (laughs) Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you. In a parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. You, I'm sorry. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live. Lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you. Meditating on you through the night. Because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. But those plotting to destroy me will come to ruin. They will go down into the depths of the earth. They will die by the sword and become the food of jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear to tell the truth will praise him. While liars will be silenced. Oh, praise be to God, you all. Are you looking up? There are going to be seasons in your Christian life where they're going to be dry and parched. Seasons when you feel like you're just in the wilderness 
all alone. Seasons when people are going to betray you. Seasons where you're going to have to endure life. But look up. Look up. Your redemption is drawing near. God is still God. There's been many of seasons, many of wildernesses that I've wandered through. Many of times I've wanted to give up. Many of times that the past and the back look better than the future. Many of times I've cried out, God, just kill me now. I don't want to go on anymore. I don't want to suffer anymore. There are many times where I didn't put this into practice. And the burden, the weight just kept getting heavier and heavier and heavier. It's not until the Lord quickens me to look up and to flee from all of that. I'm reminded. Oh God, you are my God. I will earnestly search for you because I know I'm going to find you. I have a thirst in me that longs for you that only you can quench. Forgive me for for looking back. Forgive me for walling around. Forgive me for pitching a tent. Like I told you a few weeks ago and I told you for years. Don't pitch a tent in the valley. Yea, though I walk through the valley, you're walking through. Do not get comfortable. Do not take up residence. That is not where you belong. Keep moving. Keep going. Depression, anxiety, strife, temptation, all of it is just all real. All of it you will experience. But we must remember, greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. No depression, no anxiety, no temptation, no nothing can snatch me from his hand. Oh, he will master me if I allow it. But I have a choice this day to look up. To look up. And to know that God is faithful. That God is faithful. Proverbs. 11. Two nuggets of wisdom. Proverbs 11. Verses 20 and 21. The Lord detests people with crooked hearts, but He delights in those with integrity. Evil people will surely be punished, but the children of the godly will go free. The Lord detests people with crooked hearts, but He delights in those with integrity. Evil people will surely be punished, but the children of the godly will go free. How's your heart today? How are you living when no one else is around? (laughs) Integrity. Are you walking in it? And understand that evil people will be punished. 
Oh, but praise be to God. But the children of the godly, godly will go free. What are you passing on to the children, to the next generation? They should see truly who God is through the way you're living your life and draw them in to worshiping Him that they may too come to know Him and accept Him as Lord and Savior. Let us close with this song of worship and then I'll close us in prayer.
see in the prophecies fulfilled. Oh, yes, it's everywhere. There are signs of the times, they're appearing.